0: Shalom, mishpucha. Shalom, family. Mishpucha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the mishpucha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. We're the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, mishpucha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Now, you may know my guest because uh, he's an honorary member of the Black Panther Party. Or perhaps you've seen him on uh, Fox News or O'Reilly or maybe even the History Channel. Uh, uh, By the way, Paul McGuire, what, what a distinction. You're an honorary member of the Black Panther Party?
1: Yes, uh, uh It's great to be on your show, by the way. Uh, how that happened is um, I I was uh, supporting the Black Panthers when I was like 15 years old in terms of demonstrating uh, in favor of them, and I decided that I wanted to become a member of the Black Panther Party.
0: Yeah, yeah but you're, I don't think you qualify, but go ahead.
1: Well, that's, <laughs> that's what I found out. So I got on, on the bus from Jackson Heights, Queens, to Corona, which was a— Uh, African-American neighborhood back then when I was growing up in New York City. And I went to the storefront, which was the Black Panther Party headquarters for that area. And I walked in, and there was these two big guys in black leather jackets. And they looked at me like, what what are you doing in here, white boy? And then I said, I want to become a member of the Black Panther Party. And they said, you can't. I said, why? And they said, because you're white. And I said to them, well, that's discrimination. And and then we had an argument uh, – don't ask me why I had the boldness to have an argument – but anyway, we had an argument, and they said, okay – you can be an honorary member of the Black Panther Party. So that's how it went.
0: Okay. Now, uh, you you came from an interesting background. Uh, You were not raised Christians. Uh, Your parents didn't know the Lord. Uh, You uh, you were taught, and and, and you believed all the answers were in science. Sounds like the modern college student today. Uh, You wandered into the occult. What what did you really think of Christians in college? Because uh, you walked into uh, the hippie Movement and, and and the Jesus movement. When you were in college, what, what what did you what was your honest thought of Christians?
1: Sid, when I when I grew up in New York City, I hated Christians with such a passion that literally, when I would walk to the subway and it would be like Sunday morning or something, I would spit outside the ground of churches because I looked at these people like they were idiots and hypocrites. So when I, went to, when I f- went to the University of Missouri, um, I, would meet, I met Christians, you know, born-again Christians for the first time. And uh, I distinctly remember these two girls that were trying to convert me in debate class. And unfortunately, I would rip them to shreds in debate class and, and reduce them to tears. Because even though they knew the Lord, they couldn't defend their faith. So I hated Christians with a passion and took every opportunity to make fun of them. When I saw the cover of it was either Time or Newsweek, Newsweek where it said the Jesus movement, I, I couldn't stand that. Uh, but God knocked me off uh, my horse eventually. And- yeah,
0: but wait, wait, wait a second. There's something I have to ask you about. Uh, I've heard of, of wacky majors, especially today. But back then, I didn't know there were such wacky majors as your, ma- your major was altered states of consciousness. That's a real college major?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is that it was a, it was a brand new field uh, in the Department of Psychology. So my dual major was filmmaking, and then my other major was altered states of consciousness – where we studied that plus extracurricular activities in changing our consciousness. So, yeah, it was a real field.
0: So how in the world did God get through to you? I mean, I I can just picture the kind of guy you were at at that point. Um, I mean, uh, liberal was too liberal a word to use for you.
1: Yeah, right. Well, I was. I mean, hair down to my belt buckle. (laughs) cowboy boots, two packs of cigarettes a day. You know, I was a total rebel and I hated Christianity with a passion. And I was dropping acid and partying, but I was also an intellectual. You know, I'd read 50 books a week from philosophers and scientists and all kinds of people. So um, I couldn't stand Christians. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you. If there was a list of religions, Christianity would have been on the bottom of the list, even below the Hare Krishnas who used to dance in the airport with the—
0: That's low.
1: <laughs> so what happened was, for some strange reason, I was going back to my dormitory, and there was a long hallway, and there was this geeky-looking—
0: But But, but wait a second. I still have to ask you one thing on this amazing major you had— altered states of consciousness, I guess it was in the psychology department. You're in class one day, and you actually heard a voice about that you were to surrender. What what did this voice say to you?
1: Well, this was bizarre, and it was totally unexpected. My professor was brilliant. He was trying to recruit me into something that I didn't quite understand back then, which was this global movement of scientists and gurus. And I was attending one of his lectures, and as was my habit, I sat in the back row of the classroom, and while he was lecturing, I heard this very loud voice in my head that said, like a command to me, surrender to the dark forces within. And I was jolted because it sounded audible, and I looked around, and nobody else noticed it. And this terrified me because I realized this voice just spoke to me Uh, inside my head, like it was a telepathic communication. So that fear got my attention.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, you're being set up to be a leader of the New Age religion. That's obvious to me. Mm -hmm. How did you get waylaid by the Lord?
1: Well, how I got waylaid is uh, these Christians began to witness to me. I never had Christians. Nobody ever witnessed to me in my entire life growing up in New York City. Not once did somebody say Jesus loves you or share the gospel. Not once. Hmm. So at the University of Missouri, for the first time in my life, I began to meet these born-again Christians. The only reason I even paid attention to the gospel message was there was an attractive female who I thought was cute. And so she was talking to me about Jesus all the time. And the only reason she had my attention was that she was cute. So I listened to her. And God planted seeds in my mind about the gospel. Now, I still was not remotely interested in really becoming a Christian. So,
0: Just the girl, but okay, go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, just the girl. But she ended up marrying somebody else, so that was that was fine. So the thing was, I came back to the dormitory one day. There was nobody there. And down a long hallway, there was a guy sitting at the end of the dormitory, reading this little teeny Bible, and he looked like a geek and a nerd. And he, we, we began talking because he was there to meet somebody else, but that somebody else wasn't there. So instead, he invites me to this Christian religious retreat about an hour outside of the campus of the University of Missouri, for some strange reason, and I cannot tell you why, except maybe the look in his eyes. I saw something very different in his eyes, like a light, um, like the light of the Lord. But I couldn't really process it. So I get to this religious retreat, uh, and it confirms my worst suspicions about Christianity being a country club religion. It was a bunch of sorority guy, girls, uh, dormitory, you know, guys. They were making out, they were uh, playing spin the bottle and kissing each other. And I'm saying, look, I didn't come here to play spin the bottle. If I'm going to party, I'm going to party hard. I'm from New York. I'm not going to play spin the bottle. So I asked these guys the heavy questions, you know, why I was alive, who was Jesus. I started to ask them these important questions, and they looked at me like I was nuts. So I said, you know what, if this is Christianity, I definitely want nothing to do with it. So the next morning, I told the guy who invited me there, I'm going to, hitch, I'm going to hitchhike back to the campus at the University of Missouri. I'm out there in the middle of nowhere, like the movie The Field of Dreams. It's just cornfields and, and blue sky. I get onto this road, and the guy who invited me there, he has this light in his eyes, and he tells me, Paul, you know, God's going to take care of your rides home. And I said to myself, yeah, sure, sure, God's going to take care of my ride. So, you know, I ignored him. I blew it off. The first car that pulls up after I stick out my thumb to hitch a ride is is a car driven by a Pentecostal preacher and his wife. And they begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with me.
0: That was a good start.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. As we're driving down the road in the cornfields. But being from New York and skeptical. I said, okay, so this is the Bible Belt. We're out here in the middle of nowhere in the cornfields. There's probably a lot of Pentecostal preachers driving around this time of day. So I ignored it. I get out on the road again. I stick out my thumb. This time, about three minutes after I stick out my thumb, a station wagon pulls up. The station wagon is driven by a guy wearing a dark three-piece suit. He looks like an undertaker, but he's actually a Bible salesman, <laughs> and he is driving a station wagon packed with black, thick, black leather King James Bibles. <laughs> I mean, the big, thick ones.
0: What a setup! <laughs> so, what'd you do with this guy? Well, or better yet, what'd he do with you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm ignoring this guy, okay? So, but he lets—he's holding this 65 pound—that's what it looked like—black King James Bible. And he's preaching to me in King James English, and there's no friendship evangelism or anything. He, he lets go of the steering wheel, by the way, while he's preaching and looks at me with nobody driving the car. And he says to me, point blank, he gets right down to it. He says, you know, you're a sinner, and unless you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to spend eternity in hell. So, I mean, I didn't even believe in the word sin. Sin to me was some kind of archaic concept. So then he goes to me, do you want to pull off on the side of the road and pray the sinner's prayer? Now, literally, because I'm from New York City and I'm very paranoid, I'm figuring, great, I'm in a car with a religious axe murderer pervert.
0: we're out of time. He's trying to get away from some crazy Christians, uh, but they prophesy over them. They said, well, the people who pick you up, they're going to be Christians. He's in the middle of nowhere. This isn't going to happen. So what's the first ride he catches? A a, a Pentecostal minister. And then the second ride he catches... A Bible salesman filled with big, thick, black Bibles throughout his entire car. So he asked you if you want to be born again. You're afraid there. You're from New York. You're afraid. You're in the middle of uh, uh, of uh, cornfields. And you know, what's this guy gonna do to you? So what did you say when he says, "Do you want to receive Jesus?"
1: So, Sid, what happened is I thought, "Oh, he's gonna chop." Literally, thought he's gonna chop my head off. Bury me in the bushes and and pray a prayer over me. So anyway.
0: (laughs) At least y'all have a Bible. (laughs) Go
1: ahead. So we pull up on the side of the road, and it's a real short, I mean, it's a real short prayer. He says, repeat after me. I do it. And the the prayer was simply, Lord Jesus Christ, which I said out loud, I come to you now. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner, God. And Jesus, I invite you into my life to make me born again. And that was the prayer, and I felt nothing, okay, absolutely nothing. So he drives me back to the campus. I go out and get drunk, which is my normal habit in the evening at the campus. And then the next morning, really early, these Christians who were witnessing to me rang the doorbell, uh, especially the girl that I thought was cute. So we end up in the center of the campus with these giant Roman columns, and I share what happened to me, hitchhiking. And as I'm talking to my Christian friends, a girl that I had never seen before was sitting there over listening to our conversation. She walks up to us and then looks at me. We didn't know who she was. And she looks at me and she says, you know, I was sitting here listening to you talk, asking myself the question, is God real? Does he exist? And then she looked at me and said, I'm a minister's daughter, but I don't know if I believe in God. And then she says to me, and she looks at me point blank in the eyes, and she says, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? For some strange reason, I blurted out the words that I'd never said in my entire life. I said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When I said that, it was literally as if the sky cracked open and I saw God, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And in that moment, it was a revolutionary, overwhelming experience. In that moment, I knew all the New Age stuff, astral states, of, uh, altered states of consciousness, communicating with spirit guides, seeing the great white light, astral projection, uh, all these, the studies and gurus and meditation. At that moment, I knew it was all false, and only Christ was God. And that revolutionized my life, and set me on the journey that I'm on to.
0: You know, Paul, there's some that can't comprehend that, but I can comprehend that because the same thing happened to me. Instantly, I knew everything about Jesus was true. I knew the Bible was true. Uh, And as a Jew, an Orthodox Jew for that matter— there's no way, and I never understood, how did I know all this stuff? But now I understand. Well, I, I, I want to fast forward a little bit. Uh, uh, you're at a, uh, a Christian coffee house in Times Square, New York, called the Lamb's Club, and you have another encounter that's preparing you for your future.
1: Yeah, well, for all these years I was in the New Age movement and communicating with spirit guides, I didn't realize— when I started this stuff, you know, that I was opening doors in another dimension or the invisible realm or spiritual realm or whatever you want to call it to to demonic beings and entities. I didn't understand that. I was ignorant back then, but I was through these occult practices. So even though I was saved, I was still being harassed by spirits. And, uh, you know, not Casper the Friendly Ghost or anything like that, but, but these presences that, that would attack me. I mean, on one hand, I was very sane and rational, but these are things that were going on privately in my mind. So the minister of this church on Times Square asked me if I would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he told me to meet him in the church library in about four days and told me to fast and pray and meditate on some scriptures, uh, which I did. Then I meet him in the library, and he places his hand on my head, and he begins to pray for me. The next thing I know, I feel the power of God flooding through my being with such force that I've never felt this before in my entire life. And it was as if the room disappeared, and I saw myself in the spiritual realm. I saw uh, the feet of Jesus Christ, wearing sandals. And I briefly looked into his eyes, and I saw the most pure being that I'd ever seen in my life be- before, the Messiah. But, but I-, I didn't know what to do, and so I wasn't trying to be religious. All I could do was start to sob and cry, and my tears fell at his feet. And as that happened, I felt this indescribable love flood my being, And the power of God and the love of God supernaturally flowed through me with such power and force that I began to sob. And then I opened my eyes, and I looked into the minister's eyes, and he said, Paul, did God baptize you in the Holy Spirit? And I said, yes, he did. And at that moment, the Lord, Yeshua, set my heart on fire with the flame, and that flame— over 35 years ago, has never ceased to burn, Sid, even to this day.
0: Well, speaking of a flame, God has made you a prophet. You know things that are going to happen in the future, and you are actually been called by God to warn believers about what you see. Tell me some of the things you've
1: seen. Well, the Lord has led me to go into areas of research supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he'll lead me to go and read extensively and study extensively things that I wouldn't necessarily normally want to pursue. And one example uh, would be, based on the book I've written called The Day the Dollar Died, And it's also one of the topics in the three DVD series you're offering, Are are You Ready for the One World Government, One World Religion, and One World Economic System? And the Lord spoke to me uh, after my research on economics and the history of economics, the Federal Reserve and the dollar and so on and so forth. And he prophetically spoke to me and said that the time is coming very soon when the U.S. dollar will be devalued and we will merge into a one-world economic system, and the dollar will be gone. We will go into a cashless society where we'll receive a microchip or a biochip implant uh, if we choose to reject uh, Jesus and accept the, the Antichrist as Lord. So, as I do all this research, I'm also I'm watching George Soros, the super billionaire, on the BBC and he's talking before like 20 million people in Europe on television and he's coming out openly and saying that the goal is to devalue the dollar and the reason that they want to devalue the dollar is you can't have a world currency if the dollar is strong so he said by weakening the dollar and transferring the wealth of the middle class into third-world nations which some people think sounds Christian, but it's going to end up in the hands of dictators. Then he says, we will equalize the playing field, and people will be ready to accept a one world currency. Now they've announced that this world currency will be called a phoenix, and it will be available by 2018. Whether or not they achieve that date, I don't know, but they're planning for a world currency to be established in 2018.
0: Uh, well, you know, in, in going to your research, and you have spent 30 years, Paul McGuire, researching the microchip and, and the mark of the beast, uh, but I couldn't believe the uh, the quote you had from such credible people because you not only see things from a prophetic viewpoint in dreams and visions, but then you, you're, uh, you're doing true intellectual research and matching things. Uh, what did Ralph Nader say
1: recently? Well, Ralph Nader, and, and you know, he's a, a consumer advocate and a liberal, and he said that he has seen uh, – he's been in the, the factories where they're manufacturing the technology for the mark of the beast. And this is not a fanatic by any means, and he claims that the technology of the mark of the beast is there, and they're making it now, and that he's seen it.
0: Uh, tell me one thing you've seen that would happen in the future that happened.
1: God has given me a, like a supernatural sense of warning and deep urgency of a coming crisis. And it's like a, it's like a burden. It's, like a, it's more than a feeling. It's a sense of knowing before it happens.
0: Is this sort of like a 1929 thing?
1: This is more along the lines of uh, a cataclysmic event which will shake our nation to its core— and uh it will be so uh upsetting and psychological uh, psychologically traumatizing that people are going to be forced to choose between uh serving government like god or continuing on in in the biblical tradition
0: Paul, on yesterday's broadcast, you started to say something that God has shown you uh, that uh, I believe is also true. I'm going to have you share that again. But before you do that, I want to establish the credibility that God has used you for prophetic warnings in the past of things that have come true. Uh, Tell me a few.
1: That what happens is that the Holy Spirit will push me into an area of research or to research about an event or a group or a name, and many times, you know, this won't mean anything to me intellectually. And I research credible sources. I don't. I, I'm very skeptical, and I re- research mainstream credible sources. About a year before 9/11, I publicly stated and I made comments. Uh, to the effect that there was a group called al-Qaeda, that there was a terrorist attack on the uh, uh, Twin Trade Towers, that uh, I discussed Saddam Hussein and an invasion of Iraq. I talked about uh, weapons of mass destruction, and I talked about all of the things that the intelligence community uh, after 9-11, said that they weren't up to speed on it. And I couldn't figure out how they weren't up to speed on it when the Lord revealed to me that all of these things were going to happen.
0: So Just well, out of curiosity, how did the Lord reveal that to you?
1: The primary way the Lord reveals things to me is He does it twofold. Number one, He directs me to do thorough research, and then He gives me supernatural revelation either through dreams through pictures, or an uh, inner sense of knowing.
0: It, it, and uh, f- for instance, in 1994, uh, where you were living, there was something called the Northridge earthquake, uh, and uh, your whole neighborhood was devastated, and nothing happened to your home or your property. Uh, why?
1: Well, 19- that year was a key year for me, because I had written some books on Bible prophecy, But I must admit to you, Sid, I had kind of a cynical attitude towards prophecy, even though I'd write about it. So when there was this ear-splitting noise at 4 a.m. in the morning, it it sounded like a locomotive train smashed through the living room of our house. And my wife grabs our three babies at one time, like the bionic woman. We go out with all the lights out in the neighborhood. All my neighbors come to my driveway because we're at the end of the cul-de-sac, and in the dark, all my neighbors, many of them Jewish and uh, non believers, they knew I was an author. And for some strange reason, they kept asking me the question Are these the signs of the times that Jesus talked about? Is this the end of the world? And I must have been asked that question a hundred times in the month or two that followed the Northridge earthquake. And God used that earthquake to radically change my viewpoint on Bible prophecy. From that moment forward, it was like a veil was taken from my eyes, and it was like I woke up from a dream, and I realized that we really were living in the last days. So I've devoted my life to warning people and preparing people and educating people about the fact that we are in the last.
0: Uh, Now, did it kind of blow you out of the water when... when God started revealing to you things, and then they would start happening, like the Iranian sleeper cells in the U.S., the anthrax, the biological, chemical, uh, nuclear weapons of mass destruction, Saddam Hussein, Iraq. I mean, these were all going on, Al-Qaeda's first attack, the uh, second attack on the world. I mean, when you knew these things before they happened, what did you think?
1: I thought that they were true because the, the inner sense of uh, the Lord speaking to me was so powerful and so overwhelming that there was, no, there was no real doubt. And I'll give you another example. That after the 9-11 event happened, there was a long period of time. It was like having night vision or, or some kind of radar where I could literally sense the presence of terrorist cells Uh, located not specifically but in general regions of the united states it it was as if i could feel their presence and the lord said now you need to pray about it but see that's a that's a revelation uh... supernaturally and that's the the way the lord has been dealing with me there's an event coming uh... soon and when i say soon i can't give you an exact period of time but i believe with all my heart the lord has quickened me by the power of, of his holy spirit like a watchman, I'm commanded when I see the danger of had to blow the shofar and warn the people of God. There is a cataclysmic event, a crisis event that is soon about that's going to happen to America soon. That will shake this nation to its very core, and people are going to be given a choice, and that choice will be to either follow God and the principles of God, and look to God as their source and their protector or deliverer. Or to make the false choice, which is to look to man to be God and government to be God. Now, if the people in the United States, including the church, makes the false choice to look to government or man to be God, they will be worshiping the spirit of Antichrist, and they're going to pay a severe penalty.
0: And now, I I know God hasn't shown you what the cataclysmic thing would be, but uh, use your sanctified imagination and give me an example of what it might be.
1: It it may be um, multiple nuclear uh, bombs being detonated in major cities simultaneously. We've
0: heard about those suitcase bombs that we can't find, so it would be something like that.
1: It could be an economic collapse, but it happens suddenly, like you wake up in the morning and all of the banks are closed. It could be an EMP uh, attack, which knocks out our power grid and communications. Or it could be a nuclear missile or several nuclear missiles fired Perhaps accidentally from another nation like Russia or North Korea or whatever, and everybody thinks it's not going to get through, and it does get through, and suddenly this nuclear missile pierces the atmosphere, and it wipes out a major U.S. city with a mushroom cloud.
0: Um, well, just briefly, I believe that what you're saying is from God. Uh, what can people do to prepare
1: well, the Lord, the Lord has given me the sense of urgency not to scare people. So that's, my goal is not to frighten people. I, my goal is to uh, – the Lord told me to talk about this uh, in the DVDs you're offering and the book you're offering as a prophetic warning so that people would turn back to God and people would begin to pray, and people, especially Christians, you know, said the Bible says, as you know – Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And people are always pointing to people who are not believers and the, the sins of non-believers as the reason for God's judgment. But the Lord has showed me the primary reason for his judgment will not be because of the sins of non-believers; It will be because of the sin of the church. And therefore, if we repent, if we seek the face of God, the Lord has told me specifically, and he gave me a very powerful vision, the most powerful vision of my entire life, if we will repent, the Lord will grant us a temporary reprieve, and he will drive back the powers of darkness. How long that will occur, I don't know, but God told me he will pour out grace instead of judgment if we will seek his face.
0: You know, I've been studying Jeremiah, and uh, there was a point of no return in Jeremiah, meaning... The, the decision w- was made, and you're saying we haven't reached that point in America, in your opinion, or in, in God's opinion, more important?
1: I believe we're dancing right on the edge. We're right on the threshold of, cr- of crossing over that terrible line when there will be no going back.
0: But- uh, so, So the warning you're giving people is— not necessarily unless God tells them to store up on guns and food and gold and silver, but store up on the Holy Spirit. Is that what you're saying?
1: Absolutely. And, and I believe the Lord has given us one last brief window of opportunity to seek His face and repent. And if that repentance is genuine, and if, he, if we seek His face in spirit and truth— we will see the supernatural power of God released on America with such force, it will be a third great awakening.
0: It kind of sounds like that that young guy uh, that was at the the, the Lamb's Club, and the fire of God came on him. Is that what you're expecting, the fire of God to come on those that are seeking God at this point?
1: Yes. July 4th of this past year— My wife and I were having a Bible study, and we were reminiscing. We've been married over 35 years, and we were dating in Manhattan about 35 years ago, and there was a great July 4th celebration where ships from around the world gathered. We were talking about that on July 4th, and then I felt led to pray with her for America. So very calmly, I began to intercede for America, and I repented of my own sins, and then I interceded and repented of the sins of the church, Immediately after the repentance, I was set on fire by the power of God in a way that I have never experienced before. And I calmly told my wife while I was praying, I looked at my fingers, my five fingers, and they were burning. They were burning hot. In fact, they were burning so hot, I couldn't understand why why I was not in pain. But it was a supernatural burning. And then I could feel every cell in my body burning with fire and my entire being burning with fire. And I was relating this to my wife. And then I said to my wife, I'm healed. I felt the power of God supernaturally pour through me. And I felt distinctly that I was miraculously healed I cannot tell you precisely what disease I was healed of.
0: Yeah, but I can tell you this, Paul, we're out of time right now, but Paul has been raised up by God to expose the master plan and the key players of those involved with the mark of the beast and the microchip. He has spent... The last 30 years, he's probably the most expert in the natural on the microchip and where it is right now. You need his book, The Day the Dollar Died, his three-seat DVD series called Are You Ready?, for the one world government, one world economic system, one world religion, I'll tell you something, you need this information, then you need to give it to people that are on the edge of accepting Jesus or lukewarm. Available for a gift of $45. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 447 2697 Tell me about what that power felt like that came on you, Paul.
1: Said It was a burning of of more—I've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit being baptized with fire. This was a burning and being set on fire supernaturally at a level that I'd never experienced in my entire life.
0: Well, I think you are being prepared for uh, what's ahead with these 30 years of research that you've done on the microchip and the mark of the beast. But uh, out of curiosity, since that occurred, when you pray for the sick, are you seeing a difference?
1: Yes, I am seeing a difference. And and one of the things that I'm teaching believers— and Daniel says, you know, in the last days, knowledge will increase. Well, not just general knowledge, but knowledge of God's Word. But I believe that God is supernaturally downloading into his people a quantum increase of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and supernatural knowledge, which is what happened to me. So when I minister now or when I speak now before a group or, or pray for people to in, individually, the level of the power and the force and the fire of God that flows through me is so much more powerful and so much more intense than anything I've ever experienced before.
0: Okay, you are being supernaturally prepared. Uh, to give prophetic warnings to people now, but in addition to that, you're a researcher and you have researched the microchip for the last 30 years. Why did you re- research the microchip?
1: Well, um, the first thing I want to say is that I'm I'm a skeptic, so I always proceed the, uh, the research with skepticism and not gullible. I have to I have to have credible. Uh, sources, or I don't believe it. But when I, the Lord began to uh, tell me to investigate and research our economic system, and I began to do that. And the obvious part, which many of your uh, listeners and viewers know, is that on the back of the dollar bill, we have an occult pyramid where it says New World Order on the bottom. But that bird, which many people think is an eagle, is actually a phoenix, which is an occult bird. And that's the name of the global currency they plan to circulate starting in 2018.
0: It's, it's- called the Phoenix. Now, wh- how do you know from an, a, a pragmatic, objective basis what you just came out of your mouth?
1: Because I've read uh, research and reports from uh, groups like the Bilderberg Group, which is not a, a conspiracy theory. It's a real group. And uh, other powerful globalist institutions, they're their own reports and bulletins that they plan to call it the Phoenix, and the target date is 2018.
0: So what, what's going to happen to our money when this Phoenix comes on the scene? What's going to happen to a, a $100 U.S.?
1: <laughs> well, the $100 U.S. is right now being deliberately devalued. Uh, the economic crisis we're experiencing is, is not accidental. This is a manufactured crisis with a strategic plan to devalue the dollar so that the world currency uh, can be accepted by the people, and then people will convert their uh, depreciated dollars into phoenixes or, or whatever currency there is. But then the second phase of the operation is, and the pretense will be identity theft, human trafficking, uh, uh, people with Alzheimer's, the second phase of the operation is to push uh, That people would receive a microchip or a biochip or a nanochip implant, which would act like a uh, form of currency uh, via computer chip embedded in the body.
0: Now, you say there's a precursor of this already going on in our own driver's licenses. What do you mean?
1: Well, a lot of people don't realize this, but... Um, Well, let's just start with this. The Lord supernaturally uh, talked to me about this when cell phones were first distributed. He, He spoke to me before I understood the technology, and he said that the cell phone is a tracking device primarily. It's a communications device, secondly. And I don't know if a lot of people remember, but in the early days of those cheap cell phones, when you first turn them on, it used to say in big electronic letters, GPS, Global Positioning Satellite. So the purpose of a cell phone is to track you.
0: Uh, you know, so a thought just crossed my mind. Uh, one of the big areas of discussion these days is the number of cell phones that are being given away to people who normally wouldn't be able to afford a cell phone. I'm wondering if that's part of the strategy uh, that you're pointing out.
1: Well, you're, you're absolutely right. The primary, People need to understand that these phones are not being given away out of benevolence or kindness. When somebody has a cell phone, they essentially are tracked, their communication is tracked, their whereabouts are tracked, and we could go further than that. We know from uh, criminal cases that have gone on in court that that cell phone can be activated even when the power is turned off. It can be activated to locate you where you are geographically, but also the camera can be turned on and the sound can be turned on even with the cell phone turned off, so they can view and see things that you're doing.
0: Okay, tell me uh, how far off the technology is to implement uh, what the Bible calls the mark of the beast.
1: That technology is already here. Um, Officially, it was announced, but it was here before that, This technology actually goes back to the the 70s uh, in terms of it was called electrodes back then. But uh, after 9-11, Verichip Corporation, which changed its name to Digital Angel, and I talk about this in the book you're offering, um, began to sell uh, chips uh, for the elderly, for celebrities. So, for example, celebrities who are afraid of being kidnapped have been injected with a chip. Uh, There was a uh, Mexican governmental department where about 30,000 people were given a chip. Uh, Elderly patients with Alzheimer's have chips. Um, Little children whose parents are afraid of them being uh, abducted have chips. And um, animals have chips as well. Now, now,
0: now, where are these chips? Are they
1: embedded in the people? They're embedded um, underneath the skin. And ironically, (laughs) they're embedded... Most often, either in, under the forehead area or the uh, right hand area, which is exactly the same area as identified in Revelation 13, where the mark of the beast is described as being given either on the forehead or the right hand.
0: Uh, okay. But will people get it that this is what the Bible is talking about? Uh, because it sounds so beneficial.
1: Well, yeah, it's being sold as extremely beneficial, but many of the Christians that I'm talking to, especially the ones that uh, uh, hear programs like yours and hear about Bible prophecy, uh, unfortunately, many churches are forbidding the teaching of Bible prophecy, but Christians who are... Why why would a church forbid... If not in a church, where would it be? Well, worse than that, Sid, it's a form of intellectual insanity. Who goes to a movie and walks out before it ends? Who picks up a novel and refuses to read the end? How could you possibly understand the Bible if you refuse to to read the end of it? So any pastor or church that is forbidding the teaching of Bible prophecy is not only rebelling from God— But they're attempting to censor God's Word. And and
0: yet, the intent is honorable. I I believe what you're talking about is uh, the whole movement called Seeker Sensitive, where they want to be so sensitive to the seeker, they don't say anything bad.
1: Yeah, so, but the way I look at that is if Jesus Christ uh, walked into many churches today, Uh, he would not be allowed to minister because he would not be considered uh, seeker-friendly. Conversely, I know this sounds harsh, but I am absolutely convinced that if the Antichrist was to walk into many seeker-friendly churches, he would be invited to take over the pulpit because he's so seeker-sensitive. Well,
0: you know, these seeker-sensitive churches seem to be moving in the direction of the emergent church. Explain that very quickly.
1: Well, I talk about that in the DVD series that you're offering. Um, The Emergent Church is a church which has departed from the Bible and its teaching, and it it teaches false doctrine, false teaching, and error. So that would be a fulfillment of the Apostle Paul's warning of the great apostasy that's coming before the return of the Lord. So to me, the Emergent Church is the first wave of the great apostasy.
0: Uh, what, what do they uh, proclaim?
1: Well, their leaders will openly proclaim things that are in direct contradiction to the Bible. For example, they'll say there are many ways to God, not just through Jesus. Or they'll say uh, there are many ways you can get married. God doesn't care if it's between two men or two, two women. Now, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, the marriage was between Adam and Eve. So they're making statements that are in direct opposition with the revealed truth of God's Word.
0: Yeah, well, one of the leaders writes, Bruce McLaren, according to your research, uh, they're for gay marriage, they're for boycotting Israel. What a great way to cause the curses to hit America.
1: Yeah, and the Israel thing is very serious because, as you well know, The Abrahamic covenant where God says, those that bless Israel, I will bless, and those that curse Israel, I will curse, is an everlasting covenant. That means it's in effect today. So if the United States chooses to curse Israel by going against it, then the United States and its people are going to receive a curse from God. So if the emergent church is teaching otherwise, they are inviting the judgment of God upon America.
0: Paul, on yesterday's broadcast, we just began touching about the precursors of the Mark of the Beast. Uh, tell me a bit about driver's licenses and the RFID chip.
1: Well, Sid, in many states now across the nation, like California and many other states, you now have uh, what's called the enhanced driver's license. It's physically a little longer than the normal driver's license because it has an RFID chip and RFID transmitter that is constantly transmitting your personal information uh, to a radius of they say that's you know maybe 300 uh, square feet.
0: Are you telling me my driver's license allows anyone to know where I'm where I'm at and where I'm going?
1: anyone who has a monitor that can read that information.
0: Well, is there someone with such a monitor?
1: Well, the police have this monitor in their cars or any other.
0: That's someone.
1: <laughs> now, here's, the, here's the, the, the disturbing thing about it. They, they say that it just transmits about 300 square feet. I don't believe that because the technology is capable of transmitting at a far greater distance than that. Number two is it's a, it, they say, well, it's just transmitting uh, a, a little bit of information. I don't believe that either. I believe that it's transmitting not only your normal driver's license information, but it's transmitting uh, information on your medical history, which is supposed to be private, and all kinds of personal history, your political or religious affiliations, things that are nobody's business, at least according to the Constitution. So you drive around, and let's say you decide uh, to go and participate in a a pro-traditional marriage rally, and so there's a van, an inconspicuous van outside, and it has this tracking device, and they can track the name of every single person with their complete address and photo who enters the building where you're having the uh, uh, pro-marriage rally. And you're now keeping records on them, or the same things could happen if you attend a large church or whatever. So, so this is – tr- people are being tracked, and they need to realize it. There's one other thing that I want to share, and uh, people may think, well, gee, he belongs to the tinfoil hat club. No, I don't wear a tinfoil hat, and um, if I didn't research this, I probably thought, would have thought I was crazy a number of years ago. One of these areas of research the Lord led me to go into was to research the digital technology surrounding digital television. And why would the government uh, want to promote digital television? Well, I believe the reason the government wants to promote digital television is because what most people don't realize is this, and the Lord revealed this to me supernaturally, that television that's digital that you have in your house has the capacity of monitoring you visually and with sound, just like Big Brother in the novel. Now,
0: people. You know, but, but wait a second, are you telling me it can see me?
1: Yeah. Oy vey. I th- Yeah, and people say, well, you know, he may be crazy. But by reading simple science and technology manuals, you realize how simple it is to put in a camera within the tube or some other device. Uh, on the face of the television screen, so putting that on hold for a moment, they're doing all these news stories now about the new televisions that are coming out with a television camera mounted on the top.
0: I, I, that same thing is true of our computers
1: too. Yes, it's the same. It's the same principle. And but what they're saying is, and this is this is the the subterfuge. What they're saying is that there are cases now of hackers hacking into people's television sets and watching people in the privacy of their bedroom, uh, and I won't go any further than that, and then airing it or, or uh, playing it on the Internet to be malicious. But here's the, And then the newscasters recommend, well, it's best to place some kind of object in front of the camera. But they're missing the point. The camera that you're placing the object in front of it That's just to fool you, because you think that you have privacy by blocking the camera, not realizing that the more important camera is located uh, secretly either in the tube or in an area that you don't know is a camera. And the same thing exists, by the way, in your personal computers and home computers.
0: Now, you know, some of the movies that we're seeing come out right now, uh, like take the movie – thrive. It it talks about uh, removing Christians. Uh, Explain that.
1: Well, it's very interesting that you uh, brought that up, and and I want to respond by saying, first, people need to understand that we need to take the the Word of God seriously. There are people on this planet right now at the very highest levels uh, of the elite that are in one-to-one communication with Satan and receiving direct instructions from Satan. Now, having said that, on the lower tiers, uh, movies like Thrive promote a New Age occult message because they're basically saying that our hope comes not from the God of the Bible, but ETs. But then they mix in a little truth because there are alternative sources of energy that have been available for decades that could power this planet. But we have uh, uh, gasoline company monopolies which control energy. But the movie is partially right and partially wrong. It's partially right in the fact that we have technology already available that could meet all of our power needs. So this idea of an energy scarcity is a myth. But the dangerous part of the movie is this promotion of New Age beliefs that ETs or aliens from another planet are going to save humanity. In addition to this theology of the ETs coming to rescue us, there's this belief being promoted by people in the New A- new Age is that the ETs are going to come and remove all the human beings from planet Earth uh, on UFOs who have lower consciousness. Now, who are these people with lower consciousness? These are the born-again Christians. They're going to come to remove the born-again Christians from the planet. We know this because many New Age and occult teachers like Barbara Marks Hubbard, David Spangler, and Madame Blavatsky have written in their writings over and over again about the fact that there needs to be a great planetary cleansing and a supernatural removal from the planet of Christians who are blocking mankind's spiritual evolution. So the doctrine of these teachings is Christians are going to be removed from the planet either by UFOs or some other means because Christians are the enemy, and they're blocking mankind's evolution.
0: All this information you have assembled, why should a believer at this moment get your three DVD series, Are You Ready?, and the book, The Day the Dollar Died?
1: It's imperative that people get the DVD series in the book, because you cannot prepare yourself for what's happening if you do not know what's happening. And there are so many things that I put in the book and the DVD series that people must know about what's going to happen with technology, government, politics, and religion. And unfortunately, a lot of people are perishing for lack of knowledge. So people need to get these resources now, while there's still time for them to prepare and do things, I believe that's what the Lord wants.
0: Okay, what do you see happens when people on the fence or non believers uh, watch your DVD series or read the book The Day the Dollar Died?
1: All across the world, I'm getting reports on a weekly basis that from people who have watched the DVD series or have read the book. Backslidden Christians are returning to the Lord in large numbers. They're, they're reading the material, watching it, and being reduced to tears. In addition, many, many people purchase this DVD series and book, and they give it to their unsaved husband or wife or their unsaved friends who are cynical, and then they watch this stuff because it has so much important information, and they're convicted by the Lord, and they're one, one, two. Jesus as their Messiah. So these are informational and salvation tools.
0: Okay, the book and the three DVD set available for a gift of $45. Just very briefly right now, I want you to pray that same fire that came upon you will come upon everyone listening to us right now, Paul McGuire.
1: Lord, I pray right now in the name of the Messiah, Yeshua, that the almighty power of God will descend upon every listener supernaturally, that they would be infused with power from on high, that the radiant glory and presence of the Holy Spirit would so overwhelm them that they would be fortified supernaturally, that they would become like Davids, fearless in the face of Goliath and empowered to do God's will. Let it be done, God. Let it be done. And in the name of Yeshua, amen.
0: You know what? God is healing people right now physically. Your wrist, turn around, just move your wrist. You'll see the pain is gone and backs are being healed. I mean, there's an explosion of healing going on right now. This is the Shabbat broadcast, and I'm going to pray over you a special prayer that God himself said. When you pray this prayer in the Scriptures, it will put God's name, not the chip name, but God's name in your forehead The Lord is blessing you right now. The Lord, he's keeping you right now. The Lord, right now, he's smiling upon you. The Lord is surrounding you with his favor right now. The Lord is gifting you supernaturally right now. The Lord is giving you his shalom. His peace, His completeness in your spirit, soul, and body right now, in the name that is above every name and every problem and every worry and every concern, Yahshua HaMashiach Zikenu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness.
1: Yisra Adonai panavelecha v'chonecha. Yisra Adonai panavelecha v'asem lecha shalom. To
0: hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming mishpocha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sidroth, post office Box. 39222 Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast... Send a donation to Sid Roth, that's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.